Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Salah. But I know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Pardon, ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Those are the first four verses of Psalm 4, which along with Psalm 7 are the psalms appointed for today, Monday, August the 22nd, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are in the book of Job still, chapter 4, verse 1, which just gives us the setting, and then from there to chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, verses 17 to 21, verses 26 to 27. So it's a response to Job's uh, statement the, uh, that, that we talked about on Saturday, that he was wished that the day of his birth had never happened. Um, also in John's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 52 uh, to 59, and then as well in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 9, verses 19b to 31. So let's get started with Job. So Eliphaz, the Temanite, one of his friends who came to be with him, answered Job's, Job's statement about wishing he had never been born. He answers him and says, Call now. Is there anyone who will answer you? To which of the holy ones will you turn? Surely vexation kills the fool, and jealousy slays the simple. I've seen the fool taking root, but suddenly I cursed his dwelling. His children are far from safety. They are crushed in the gate, and there is no one to deliver them. Now, this is unbelievable. Right? I mean, his children are far from safety. They are crushed in the gate, and there's no one to deliver them. Remember, one of the things that's happened to Job is that, that he's lost all his children. And, and this Eliphaz is now bringing that into this discussion here about Job saying he wished he'd never been born. He, he, he says, I, I've seen the fool taking root. I mean, he uses the word twice here in the first few verses, and he's clearly speaking to Job call now. Is there anyone who will answer you? Really? Just keep crying out to God. He's not going to answer you. Is that really what that says? So the hungry eat his harvest and he takes it even out of thorns and the thirsty pant after his wealth. For affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble spring up from the ground. But man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. And and what that last statement is to say, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. It's to say it's as surely as. You know, if you've ever been around a campfire, <laughs> you know which way the sparks tend to go, unless it pops and then it'll come at you. But, but they fly up into the air. So this is you know, this is the way it is. This is the way of life. Don't don't get all bent out of shape, Job, because this is just the way life is. Do you not see that? I mean, can't you understand, Job, that this is the way things are? As for me, I would seek God, and to God would I commit my cause, if I were you. That's exactly what he's saying. I would seek God, and to God would I commit my cause. Who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number? He gives rain on the earth and sends waters on the fields. He sets on high those who are lowly, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. Now, some of this is going to be the Lord's response as well. You know, that I'm sovereign over all things is really God's response in all this. And so that's what Eliphaz here is pointing to, the sovereignty of God. He said, Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Oh, that's what's going on here, is the reproof of God. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. Suck it up, Job. You know what this is about. You know this is about reproof and discipline. We know it's not. 
We know it because we were privy to the conversation that took place between God and the Satan, where God said that he's a man blameless and upright, who fears the Lord and eschews evil. So here, Eliphaz is saying, hey, there's, there's something wrong here. The, re- the Lord's doing this for a reason, and that reason is that you were wrong. You were not blameless, Job, but we know that God said Job was blameless. He says, for he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. He'll deliver you from six troubles, and seven no evil shall touch you. In famine he'll redeem you from death, and in war from the power of the sword. You shall be hidden from the lash of the tongue, and shall not fear destruction when it comes. And, and, and what he's saying is, Job, rely on the Lord. You know that what's happening here, you need to repent. You need to accept this discipline from the Lord as good and necessary. You needed this discipline, Job. There's something there, obviously, that God's doing and dealing with. And I've seen this a million times, right? I mean, I had a friend who's, who had a small, small child who was very sick, and he, th- there was a group of people from a church that came to pray, and my friend at the time was not a believer. So he stayed out on the front porch while they went in and prayed. He had been through so much with this child health-wise that he knew that, that ultimately the doctors had told him it was a hopeless situation. So these people went in and prayed. They came back out, and they, and they looked at my friend and said, you know, you're the reason for this because you're not a believer. Holy cow, what in the world is wrong with you? How would you possibly do that? Well, I've experienced it in my own life in the last couple of months, actually. Um, but then also, I've told this story before. We had a guy who, had, who was one of those godly men I knew who was uh, dying of lung cancer. It was a second bout with it, so he couldn't have any chemo or radiation because he had already been bombarded with it the first time. And so now he's sick and he's dying of cancer. And there was a person in our church who wanted to be head of prayer ministries who came to me one day and said she knew why he was sick. I said, yeah, I do too. He has lung cancer. She said, no, he has unconfessed sin in his life. Oh, and the Lord gave you to know this. That's what I heard you say. Um, well, you know what? That's not true. There's nothing this guy could 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 have <laughs> hold on to and uh, and not confess so steadfastly that he was willing to to live with the the incredible limitations that he had in living. There was one position that he could sit in where he wasn't in horrible pain. One position, and that was it. He couldn't lie down. He couldn't stand up. He couldn't do anything except for this one thing where he didn't have pain. And and she's diagnosing it as sin in his life is the cause of this sickness. Holy cow. I mean, how do we go from that that, um, people that that just living life, a, a consequence of living life, it means that trouble will come into our lives. How do we go from that to um, you're now a, a victim of, of your own sin for the same thing? He said, you shall come to your grave in ripe old age, like a sheaf gathered up in its season. Behold, this we have searched out. It is true. Hear and know it for your good. So in other words, if you'll return to the Lord, Job, if you'll go ahead and confess your sins, then everything will be okay. God will take care of it and everything, you'll have prosperity again. You know, everybody doesn't live to a ripe old age. All God's saints don't live to a ripe old age. They, they undergo tremendous difficulty sometimes in their lives. And sometimes all their lives. And, and is it God's discipline? It really? For sin? Wow. I, you know, it, this is the most amazing thing. Who, who would possibly do this? Well, I, I have a better understanding of who would possibly do this now than I used to because I had somebody who's, who's tried to do it to me and to Suzanne after Will's death. I mean, it's unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. These people trying to hurl some sort of condemnation at us 
Well, we grieve because we weren't um, responsive to their needs during that period of time. Absolutely insane. In this John passage today, remember what's happened is Jesus has fed these people. They have followed him across the sea the next day and, and demanded that he feed them again. They proposed that that be the, the sign that he would give them to make sure that um, that everything, uh, that he was on the up and up, that he was indeed who he claimed to be. So after he said, you have to, uh, my, my flesh and my blood are true food, true drink, they said, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Is he suggesting cannibalism and, and how could he do that how could this possibly be true and so they're they're disputing among themselves and he says jesus said to them truly truly i say to you amen amen is truly truly amen amen i say to you unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you have no life in you now it, it, he didn't soften that he didn't say oh you look hey i'm only using a figure of speech here because he's not he's not using a figure of speech at all he's telling them exactly what they need to do. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, here's a way to understand that. So in the Old Testament, God speaks of not eating food with the blood still in it because the life of the thing is in the blood of the thing. And so the reason not to do that, the reason you wouldn't eat a chicken or anything else that still had the blood in it is because mixing that blood in your body is you're taking other kinds of life into your life because the life is in the blood. So if you eat the flesh, then it's fine. But drinking the blood in any way, eating it, drinking it, whatever, is not okay because the life of the thing is in the in the blood. And so that blood, it's chicken blood, it's it's calf blood, it's whatever you're eating. It's pig blood. You don't take them. Pig blood wouldn't apply in the Old Testament, certainly, but, but you... You're taking that life of that thing into yourself. And so here Jesus says, drink my blood. And if you do that, you'll have everlasting life because I have everlasting life. You will partake of the, the life of the Godhead. You'll take that kind of life into yourself. This is the tree of life that he's offering to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And I'll raise him up on the last day. I mean, this is the fourth time he said that. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Because all this other stuff, remember, he began this thing with, don't work for the food that doesn't last. And then in Isaiah 55, there's a, there's a call to come to the waters, come buy wine and milk and uh, bread that has no cost. And, and that's exactly what Jesus is appealing to here. He says, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. In other words, it completely fulfills the purpose of eating and drinking because it brings strength and life. And in the uh, epistle, in that Acts lesson today, it begins, I'm not going to bother reading it because I'm going to get it in there right this minute. So it, remember Paul, when he was struck blind, he also fasted for three days and then it said that he ate and was strengthened. That's how it begins, because it's the way it ended yesterday or Saturday. But anyway, so here Jesus is saying that, that this is true food and true drink, that which will not only nourish you for a season of time, but, but it's the kind of food that will actually nourish you into eternal life, because you're taking the divine life, which is eternal, into yourself. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. 
So we're taking in the body and blood of Jesus. When we do that, we do it in, in multiple ways, right? I mean, we can do it at communion, certainly. But then we feast on him when, when we delight in him and when we worship him, all those things. And so we're, we're bringing that divine life into our life. We're agreeing with heaven in our worship. And he says, so that you'll also live because of me, because I live because of the Father. So you're taking the life of Christ into you in the form of bread and wine in some cases. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And so he's bringing the whole thing full circle and talking about true food and true drink. It's the, it's the stuff that, that never needs to be replenished. And it can't be. There's no true food and drink other than Jesus. And here what he says is that he goes back and reverses this thing and, and talks about food generally and then talks about the manna that they ate in the wilderness. And he said they all died. They, they, they died there in the wilderness. I don't know if you're aware of that. <laughs> but but he, he's saying that, that that kind of food, even though it was the bread of angels, it doesn't compare with his. And it's the food that they asked him to give them. They gave us manna in the wilderness. Won't you do something like that? And Jesus says, that's not the kind of stuff you actually need. You need something way more than that. And I'm offering something way more than that. And he says that he said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So so he's left the fields where he fed them and is teaching this in the synagogue in Capernaum. In the uh, epistle. Remember, we got Paul's conversion, and so it begins with some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately, because he, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he's the Son of God. So, you know, he, he was there to persecute the church, and then what ends up happening is he becomes one of the preachers of this gospel, proclaiming Jesus to be the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, isn't this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? Wait a minute. So, so this gospel he's proclaiming, this Jesus he's proclaiming, the, the whole, this guy's whole persona was wrapped up in the persecution of those who believed in this name, this name of Jesus. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. I mean, Paul was a quick study. Holy Spirit gave him a lot of knowledge and understanding and wisdom in this, but he knew the Word well. He was a Pharisee. I mean, he, he was a guy who was well-trained. He, he, was, he came up in the best rabbinic school, and now here he is taking that rabbinic learning and applying it to Jesus himself and saying, this is the Messiah. The man that I was persecuting the church for is, is truly the Messiah. And when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. This is not the first time that the Jews plan to kill him, and, and the plot becomes known. It's the first time, but it's not the last time, because it'll, it'll happen later when he's under arrest, house arrest in Jerusalem, um, and, and then his uh, nephew learns of the plot against him and tells him, and so then he is able to get secreted away to a place of safety. So they, the Jews, were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But it's just, they, just by seeing if he's going to come and go, because once he leaves the city, then they can do this. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. I mean, you can just see this, this thing of, of Paul in a basket, sort of being lowered down by a rope 
down to the ground so he could get out. They're not leaving. They're not going outside the city at, after dark because it's dangerous. You know, when you're inside the city and the gates are shut and the walls are solid, then, you've, then you can feel safe. But if you're on the outside of that, then there's a danger. And that's part of the reason that we see in, in Revelation 22, for instance, where it talks about who is outside the city. And, and, and what it is is the, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the dogs, the da-da-da-da, so the adulterers, all these people are outside the city, outside the gates. So in other words, you don't want to go outside the gates. There's nothing good out there, and there's nothing bad in here. I don't need the experiential um, wisdom gained by going out there and hanging out with all those people. I know who they are, because Revelation tells me who they are, and that tells me they're not good. That's all I really need to know to avoid them. And so here, the Jews who are waiting for Paul don't go outside the gates in the evening because there's safety inside, and so they let Paul down by the rope on the outside, because for him, safety is on the outside of the walls, because those inside want to kill him. So they let him down, and he, he goes away, and then he comes to Jerusalem, and he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they didn't believe he was a disciple. Now, you can see that, right? I mean, you you knew, you know what his whole shtick was and what he was doing. So I, I would be slow to receive him as well, because you could say, well, is he an infiltrator? Is he gone sort of undercover to come in and expose us, and, and it's going to cost us our lives? But then Barnabas... You remember Barnabas, we met him a couple of chapters before because he, he sold a field and brought the entire proceeds and laid it at the disciples' feet. It says, you use that in any way you want to use it. So we know who Barnabas is. We have met him already. So he took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Now, we don't know how Barnabas came to know these things and vouched for him, because you can bet that he wasn't accompanying him on the way to Damascus, because Barnabas was clearly a believer in the way and a believer in Jesus. So he wouldn't have been accompanying Paul. So we don't don't know exactly how he knows this, but he takes the risk in the same way that Nicodemus and um, Joseph of Arimathea do with the body of Jesus. They're going to say, I will vouch for this man. I, I know that everybody else here hates him, but I'm going to step into the breach and I'm going to say that he's, he's okay. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem because of Barnabas' testimony about him. He, he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. What, what a wonderful story this is. What a wonderful story of God's uh, activity in the church this is. It, it's a powerful, powerful testimonial that Luke gives us here. And, and we do need to remember all these things. We need to wrap all this together and say, yes, I trust in the sovereignty of God. I trust him in all things. And that means that no matter what comes, I believe that all things work together for good for those who know God and are called according to his purpose. So I can't make a preliminary judgment that this is a bad thing or an evil thing because I don't know. The fact that God brought it and allowed it to come into my life tells me that that I need to pay attention 
to it, and I need to trust in the goodness and the sovereignty of God in order to, to say, what is the lesson here? What is it the takeaway? What is it you're doing in my life and, and in my character that this was a necessary thing? And so it's important that we continue to look at things that way and, and that we always look to Jesus and that we feast on him in every possible way by his word, by his worship, and by communion uh, together with our fellow believers.